Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 46 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, John Five of Rob Zombie, ex Marilyn Manson, and John Five fame discusses his first band, and I recommend Kink Shamer. Before all that, I welcome one of my musical heroes in Nick Beggs. Nick has had a storied career playing bass in Kaja Gugu, as well as alongside Steve Hackett from Genesis, John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin, Belinda Carlisle, and many others. However, I first became aware of Beggs because of his work with one of my all-time favorites, Stephen Wilson. Nick is also part of the Prog Trio of the Mute Gods, alongside ex-necrophagist, ex-Steven Wilson, drummer Marco Miniman, he also plays in the Aristocrats, and guitarist Roger King, who played in Steve Hackett's band alongside Nick Beggs. The Mute Gods are about to release their third album, Atheists and Believers. Nick came on the show to talk about said new album, working with Steven Wilson, playing bass in general, what makes him a good little doggy, and more. And uh, yeah, you heard that last part right? The latter half of this episode gets really weird. And I don't really know what happened, but it gets weird and it's fun. Anyway, before we get to my interview with Nick Beggs, from Atheists and Believers, here is some of the Mute Gods track, Knucklehead. So you just wrapped a, a, a tour with Stephen Wilson. Uh, what are you up to in the meantime bef- until your next project, other than press for the Mute Gods, of course? I'm getting ready to go to America with Howard Jones to do five shows. Oh, fantastic. Are you looking forward to those? Yes, it's always great to work with Howard. He's a dear friend of mine. Awesome. Um, do you keep in touch with a lot of like the, uh, the 80s scene that you, you first started with? Yes, I do. I, I, I'm still in contact with a lot of those people because they are, they continue to, as Howard is, they, a lot of them are still dear friends of mine. In fact, uh, the weekend I'm going to stay with Nick Kershaw, who is a very good friend of mine. Oh, fantastic. Uh, how did you go yeah. from that scene that you first started with with Kaja Gugu to like the prog rock scene that you are a part of now more so? I think it was um, just a natural process. It seemed to um, unfold for me over a course of about 20 years. Not to not forgetting that I originally started listening to progressive rock and metal music when I was in my teens. I was always a very big fan of that type of music, uh, amongst other many other genres as well. Um, so when people like John Paul Jones and Steve Hackett invited me to work with them, I was very honored. Uh, what sort of metal bands were you listening to in your teens? Well, the in, in the times of my teens, there was only one real metal band, and that was Black Sabbath. Mm, so good. They were the, the they, uh, yeah, and for me, the best. They're my favorite um, band ever. They're, yeah, they're absolutely incredible, and they 
they actually gave birth to the term heavy metal in, in, in its uh, complexities and uh, in its completeness. I, I, I love uh, a lot of the other metal bands too, but I think that's the, the, the zenith for me. And uh, what made you decide to start playing bass, and uh, more specifically bass the way that you play it, because it's not really a straightforward four-on-the-floor root note approach? Uh, because when I was a child, somebody left an acoustic guitar in my house with only four strings on it. And that's how I learned to play bass guitar. <laughs> so it was just like the uh, the means you had? Yeah, it was the way, it, as with everything in, in my life, seemed to be the universe passing down gifts and me recognizing the opportunity. Uh, the same true of working with a lot of the progressive icons that I've ended up working with in later years. But uh, during the 80s and the 90s, I, I was passed between many great um, artists like uh, Howard Jones, Belinda Carlisle, Kim Wilde, to name but a few. There's an endless list of people, even people like Engelbert Humperdinck and Cliff Richard I worked with. And they, it was just being in the right place at the right time or responding to uh, invitations and being ready. Fortune often favors the ready. Right. And I, I would like to come back to some of these sort of things in a bit, but I, of course, I want to talk about uh, the new Mute Gods album. I, I know this is the third album from the, the trio, but how did the band first come together? Um, after working with Steve Hackett Steve Wilson, I was approached by numbers of record labels about the possibilities of putting a project together because, based on my touring with those artists, had garnered interest from the labels and potentially a new fan base so i think that they saw the opportunity for me and presented me with the option and it was inside out thomas faber inside out who i ultimately decided to go with cast my um all my opportunities in. and uh, i'm really glad i did it's kind of worked out quite well and you are the lead vocalist of the Mute Gods, and from what I've read, you've kind of been on and off as the lead vocalist in Kajagugu. Uh, are you comfortable being the lead voice in a band, or would you rather be uh, in the rhythm section of it? Well, the Mute Gods was um, conceptualized with me as the front man, so it's it was written around that role for me. So I, I, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't feel comfortable with it. And I felt that it was a learning curve and something that I had to grow into and wanted to challenge myself to do so. Um, the first two Mute God albums lyrically have a lot of bite. Would you say the new one does as well? Just like a lot of sort of, not rage, but just kind of points to be made? I think there's a lot of rage. I think there's a lot of anger and a disdain with the world. And what, why do you think uh, you have that rage in you? Because uh, the way I wish I see the world and the way I which I see humanity unfolding, the mistakes that we make, we don't seem to learn from them. We don't seem to be uh, capable of taking on board advice from intelligent 
um, educated people. And because truth is no longer fashionable, we appoint stupid people to act on our behalf. I understand that completely as a, uh, a Native American, not Native American, American-born citizen person. I know. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Trump sucks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, on the new album, there's a song yeah. called Knucklehead that stands out to me. Uh, lyrically, it seems to be about ignorant people making poor decisions. But the, the word itself, knucklehead, doesn't seem uh, as severe as the message of the song. Why particularly the name or the word knucklehead? Um, I thought it was a good um, acronym or a, a good um, metaphor for people who think with their fists rather than thinking with their intellect and applying their intellect. Uh, but actually, we are, it's written for all of us. It's written for me. It's written for you. It's written for everybody. It takes the concept that we are all knuckleheads. So, um, it, the heart of us in our DNA is the we are hardwired to make the same mistakes over and over again uh, without learning from them. And uh, each and every one of us ends up knuckleheaded in the end because that's what we're designed to do. Uh, it is When you say it's, it's a song for me, like I, I oddly relate to it because growing up, knucklehead was a term my grandma would always call me and my fellow like grandkids when we were just acting dumb and getting into trouble she'd say you knucklehead so hearing that it like definitely brought back memories but then my grandmother didn't have the the same uh uh lyrical sort of sway that you do um why the title atheists and believers for the album uh, the song Atheists and Believers is written from the paradigm point that SETI and NASA are embarking on the quest for intelligent life in the universe when they know it exists already. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's heavy. Um, and also, it's written from the perspective of the way in which the media deals with people who try to flag up that point, who try to um, uh, make statements or shine lights in those uh, corners. Um, what were you hoping to set out to say with this latest batch of songs on the new album? I think some of this material is a continuation from the first and second records, songs that I felt I had more to say about on those subjects. I think um, each record has their companion track. For instance, Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me is definitely a companion track with atheists and believers. And probably on the second album, Window Onto The Sun is also a companion track. Uh, and I think you could go through each one of the tracks on three albums and parallel them with their companion tracks because I felt like I could continue speaking on the subject matter that I'd picked. Um, so I, I just wanted to um, make sure that I'd exhausted the subjects by the third record. wanted to say it as succinctly as I could. It's almost like you were building a multi-part concept album that you then have to piece together, and that's really cool. Thank you. 
That was some of Sectarian from Stephen Wilson's Get All You Deserve live album, which features Nick Beggs on bass. That tour stopped at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and that's what introduced me to Nick's playing. I'll have more with him in a moment, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere. In this episode, John 5 discusses his heavy origins. My first band was called Dirty Tricks, and I was very young. I was probably like seventh grade, and we would play these bars, and it was like covers. You know, we did like Van Halen. We did mostly Van Halen, and it was all these young kids. You know, we were all like little kids, but we were pretty good, you know, and we won the battle of the bands and stuff, but we played these bars and like bar bars like and it was a blast you know and i remember the drummer because not a lot of people came but the drummer would say why are we doing this and it was i'll I'll tell you it was probably the best education and schooling that i have ever gotten in my life is experience experience being out on that stage playing for a few people it's so imperative to do is to it's just like a boxer hitting the bag you can hit the bag all day all week all month all year but you have to get in the ring could you listen to dirty tricks now and not cringe um i don't know i think i'd be okay with it because we're pretty good like we're just doing van halen songs and i think we're pretty good yeah most of the time that follow-up always gets a no so that's cool to hear that you've got a uh, faith in a younger john five yeah uh, a younger a younger john lowry yes. if you will John 5 and the Creatures are on tour now on the Invasion Tour. For dates, head to john-5.com. Now here are some of what might be Nick Beggs' most known bass playing. This is Kaja Gugu's Too Shy, before I wrap my conversation with Nick Beggs. Um, Wikipedia, as of course we know, is the uh, home of all information that is accurate and true. It, it seems like this is going to be the last Mute Gods album. Uh, is that the fact? Is that true? Well, it's definitely got a full stop after it. Whether I pick up another sentence depends on how things move forward. If I get a chance to do some live shows, if the record is well received, if interest in the project continues, there's uh, there's the possibility for you know more to be added. It's pretty open architecture, but it also can be left 
I think I've, I think I've given myself the opportunity if I want to. Um, coming back to your, your bass playing, I'm a bass player myself, and I really like look up to your innovative style. Um, and in doing my research, I kept finding the words virtual stick. Can you please tell me everything about what a virtual stick is? The virtual stick is a MIDI version of the Chapman stick. You have um, the Chapman stick as a physical instrument, but you can retrofit uh, MIDI pickups onto it which I have, which will trigger synthesizers. Uh, so you can be triggering in parallel string sounds or Hammond organ or brass sounds from the same instrument. And Emma Chapman coined the phrase virtual stick uh, of that concept. And I've seen you perform three times with uh, Stephen Wilson. Did I ever see that and I wasn't aware of it? Uh, no, I haven't used that aspect of the stick with Stephen Wilson. I used it with John Paul Jones. Um, I've also seen that you have a pretty hefty pedal board at some times, which is something I get kind of a hard time for being a bassist. Uh, what is your favorite pedal that you have on your board? The one that I've used consistently over the years is the TC Electronic Phaser which is really great on Chapman stick. It works very well on Chapman stick, better than anything else. Uh, but also the Roland V-Base amp modeling system is very good. It's a multi-key, it's a multi-effects unit that has a lot of platforms within it, and also it's a synth, and you can um, MIDI that up as well. Um, you... you touched on some of the musical legends that you've worked with and it's also cool that you're kind of aware of it and you're not jaded to the whole thing um who who's somebody that you haven't worked with where it's just like time hasn't happened or maybe they've passed away that you would like to have worked with or to work with at some point um i don't really know i can answer that question to be honest Still, everybody I've worked with, it's it's been a very natural process. And much as there's certain people I would like to work with, I think if I tried to force that issue, I don't think it would work. Uh, for instance, Dave Gilmore came to see the Steve Wilson band play live once with a view to possibly getting us to be his backing band. And it just didn't seem right. And uh, there were various reasons why it didn't happen. But... I just don't think it would have been the right thing to do. Oh, wow. That would have been a very interesting... Like, I feel like all you guys would be completely capable of it, but it's a, an odd mesh just based on the backgrounds that I know of. And what what era was this? Yeah, is I this like Marco, or is this uh, past Marcos being involved? Uh, Marco, Marco was at the gig, but Marco wasn't one of the guys that he was looking to use. He was looking to use me, Steve, and Adam Holtzman. Um, but for some reason it didn't happen. It just, uh, it was one of those situations where, um, it didn't feel right and it didn't, it didn't manifest itself, whether he thought we were too bombastic for him or whether he had pressures to use other people. I don't really know. But as I say, I don't think it's wise to go wishing to work with people. I think if things happen naturally, that's the best situation. That's a good approach to have. Then you're like yeah. not disappointed if something doesn't work out. Yeah. Um, yeah. In my research, I keep finding that 
uh, Kajagugu is active. What is going on with Kajagugu these days? Kajagugu isn't active. It is not. I need to make a correction on Wikipedia for the world. Uh, it hasn't. It hasn't split up, but it's not doing anything. Ah, I see. And you just and it and it, it won't and it won't. Okay. And uh, you just wrapped up your your latest monster tour with Stephen Wilson. I'm assuming he's going back to do some writing. Um, is that fair to assume? Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, with uh, touring with Stephen Wilson, were you surprised when he started uh, including Porcupine Tree songs into your sets? No, I thought it was the right move. I mean, they weren't really Porcupine Tree songs. They were Stephen Wilson songs. Of course. He wrote all that material. And so it was fair enough that he um, would want to um, represent those songs. And I think that's a great catalogue. He's got a great body of work there to uh, delve into. And the interest in the project has grown exponentially. So I think he was under a lot of pressure from the fans to represent some of the songs live. And they're fun to play. Uh, what's your favorite one to put your spin on? I think um, we really tear up sleep together. That's true. I've seen you guys play that one a couple times, and it, it's got its own just extra weight to it when you play it. Yeah, it's a bit like when the levee breaks, but like a 21st century version of levee breaks. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, changing gears completely... Um, you're, you have an Instagram account, and the account bio on it says that you're a good little doggy woof woof. Would you care to elaborate what that means exactly? Uh, well, I am a very good little doggy, and I'll do anything for treats. <laughs> What's your favorite sort of treat? Um, chucky drops woof woof. <laughs> I feel like a, a good little doggy shouldn't have chocolate. Chocolate's not good for a dog. But there's a special chucky. It's good for doggies, and... Uh, um, you obviously can't give doggies any type of chocolate because it's bad for them, so it has to be special chocolate. Uh, Is that in your writer when you guys play shows? Special dog? Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, and a, and, a, and a, an inflatable kennel for me to crawl into. <laughs> um, in kind of creeping on you in various social media things, I discovered that there are three Instagrams accounts that all claim to be you, and the Stephen Wilson account follows all three. Um does, does whoever runs the Stephen Wilson account not know who you really are? Or are you indeed three Nick Beggses? Um, I am three Nick Beggs. In fact, I'm more than three Nick Beggses, but I'm not going to tell you who the other ones are <laughs> or what the other ones are. I have many guises, and Stephen Wilson likes to keep abreast of what we do on social media. Um, and also, I think he likes it when I take my clothes off. Interesting. That's never worked its yeah. way into a set, I, I don't think. Um, is that coming up in the future? Um, how do you know it hasn't? I mean, I haven't attended every single show. I'm just assuming from the ones that have been recorded. I feel like it's a event worthy of recording. Well, there's there's a whole bunch of things that go on stage that the audience aren't really aware of at any given time. I'm assuming that's part of your sound check. That makes sense. No, actually on stage. No, oh, very nice. Um, when the actual uh, when the actual screen comes down, they, you can't really see what's going on. I always kind of assumed that was a projection, and then just behind the scenes was just madness. Yes, there's a whole bunch of madness going on there, and we get very bored very quickly when you've been doing a hundred and 
45 shows uh, over 14 months. Insanity can ensue. And uh, we have various ways of keeping ourselves from going off the deep end. And, uh, you know, when the screen comes down and you can't see what's going on on stage, um, there's a lot of fun to be had. I realize that we're kind of being tongue-in-cheek right now, but does that part kind of weigh on you when you're playing similar set lists for over a year just to kind of make it interesting for yourself? Or are you like, this is a gig, so this is my job right now? No, I think everybody kind of gets bored. And the boss actually uh, insists on the madness as well. I think he he kind of, he's a bit of a naughty schoolboy, really. I love it. Uh, I have just a couple more yeah. questions for you, then I'll leave you to probably more interviews because press. Um, what is the strangest thing that you own that you can think of? Strangest thing that I own? Yes. Um, I have a preserved tarantula. How big is the tarantula? Um, about the size of my hand. Oh, nice. Does it have a name? Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, but it's uh, pre preserved in a frame in my studio, and my wife hates it. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I, I wish you luck with your attempt at finding your home in the fifth dimension and as well as all your other interviews and endeavors sir uh thank you for talking with me today thank you daniel of course thank you all the very best and to you as well bye-bye bye by the Mute Gods drops March 22nd via Inside Out Records. For more on the band, head to themutegods.com and for more on Nick, head to nickbegs.co.uk. Before I end this episode, I'd like to end with a recommendation of the band Kinkshamer. Kinkshamer are a duo that labels themselves as, as NSFW Progressive Metalcore, and for good reasons. With tracks like Foreplay and Climax Control Closure, their EP Societal Sex is pretty raunchy to say the least. However, the EP is a ride and a fun one. From that EP, here is a most vulgar display in its entirety. Mm, are you sure it's safe to fuck out here in public?
watch. They're all having fun. Who cares, right? Right. What's even more interesting is... Kink Shamer, head to facebook.com slash kinkshamerband, and they're on Instagram at kinkshamerband. If you'd like to talk to me, you may email the show at farbeyondmetaldan at gmail.com. The show is at underscore farbeyondmetal. The show is also on facebook.com slash farbeyondmetal, and I'm late to the game, but the show is now on Instagram at farbeyondmetalpod. And as usual, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.